now you threaten them with loss of jobs or they actually lose their job, what's going to happen? You're going to have domestic violence. You're going to have sexual child abuse increase. We also said pornography will increase. It exploded globally. You'll have anxiety, depression. You'll have abuse of legal and illegal drugs. All of that happened and you had suicide as well. And we've had a number of suicides of young high school, particularly male sports athletes in their junior and senior year. And you can imagine these people got locked out on a Friday some places. They left, they had their lockers. On Saturday, they got an email. You can't come back to school on Monday. They're in their last semester of their year. They didn't get a chance to say goodbye to their friends. Ready to live at the higher vibrations where peace, love, joy, and good health are the daily standard? That's what this show is all about. Welcome to Vibe. And here's your host, Robin Openshaw. Hey everyone, it's Robin Openshaw. Welcome back to the Vibe Show. Today I have a really interesting guest. You guys know that two years ago, I did a 180 from all things health and wellness to the freedom fight, basically. Saw it coming in February of 2020, and all of our guests are very different now, aren't they, than who we used to interview. And uh, I'm really thrilled to introduce you to Matt Staber. He is the lead counsel um, and principal of Liberty Council, and he's got over 100 affiliated attorneys around the United States, and I think he's basically the guy who is out there pushing uh some kind of traction using the judicial system. Does that describe it well, Matt? Yeah, that describes it well. We're not only fighting in the judicial system, but also in the legislative arena, both on the state and local level, as well as in the uh, federal Congress as well with our office out of Washington, D.C. Well, I hope that we can get to the legislative stuff. I'll tell you that working with our uh, legislature, as you and I were talking about the other day in Utah, has been a very eye-opening experience to be a Utah, a very alarming experience to be, you know, a citizen of this state. And we want to, we want to make sure our children are not forced into all kinds of random medical injections we don't agree to and don't know what is in it. I mean, let's face it, 200 million Americans have now been injected with something they don't even know what it is. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the, the jeopardy is real. So, but let's start with the, the, the fights that you've been involved in. I mean, that sounds so aggressive, but you have filed lawsuits like coast to coast, like Maine to California, and you're winning some of them. Just go ahead and tell us all about it. Yeah, we have different uh, kinds of situations that we've been involved in. Liberty Council, we founded that. My wife and I also, she's an attorney and she's president of Liberty Council. I'm the founder and chairman, and we founded it in 1989. So we have been around for a while. We've been to the Supreme Court multiple times. I just recently argued a case at the United States Supreme Court on January 18. But what happened, as we all know, we go back to 2020. This is when the pandemic restrictions started to come about, February, particularly March and early April. And it was in March that we began representing uh, churches. We represented churches on other issues, but obviously this was brand new with regards to the COVID restrictions. And so the first pastor in the country, and I believe probably in the world, was arrested on the first Monday, last Monday of March for a service that he did the last Sunday of March, 2020. We represented him. Um, As a result of that, it went worldwide. Quickly, Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida issued an executive order declaring that churches and places of worship are essential activity. And he overrode all of the local laws to the contrary. So we didn't have to file suit in that case. We were hours away from filing suit on Thursday morning. He did this on Wednesday evening, April 1. And From that time on, we've been working with uh, several thousand pastors and churches. We took several of these cases to the U.S. Supreme Court. We won 5-4 decision out of California uh, churches. And then we also won again 6-3 in February 2021. That ultimately stopped the restrictions on churches uh, across the state. We had to continue, and we're still fighting on those issues. Um, But there are no restrictions that are imposed on churches, places of worship right now. Then 2021, we had the mandates. Let's let's back up and make those stories a little more personal because, uh, you know, tell a little bit about this pastor here in Florida and how many churches you were really fighting for in California. And then then from there, I'm going to have you go into like people who don't know much about the law, like what is case law? What is precedent? Why does it matter so much that these cases be, be decided for the sake of all of us? 
Well, for example, in Florida, this uh, this church, they feed 900 families a week, and they have their own tilapia fish farm and hydroponic garden. They teach people how to grow their own food. Uh, they have this incredible service and outreach to the community. The Hillsborough County Sheriff recognized this church as being instrumental in bringing crime down in the inner city. Uh, this particular pastor met with the same sheriff that they actually honored in January of 2020. Uh, to give honor to the local law enforcement. And so they actually spoke with this sheriff just a couple of days before the Sunday service. There were no statewide lockdowns at the time. But on Friday evening, Hillsborough County issued this uh, restriction, and it included churches. Saturday morning, the church opened up. They had done all kinds of things to protect health. They had put in over $100,000 of high-grade hospital air filtration systems. They did the social distancing. They blocked out the pews. They did all these other kinds of things. They did a professional sanitizing of the church. They had the service on Sunday. And on Monday, a dramatic event happened where they actually flew helicopters over this pastor's house. They had police cars come from another neighboring county since he lives in an adjoining county. And they broadcast this live during a press conference, and they did it so that they could send a message to all pastors to shut down, and you need to obey us when we say shut down, shut down. Now, you can have all the gatherings in the big box stores, and they were packed for weeks and weeks and weeks like it's Christmas, but you couldn't gather in a church. And so that's what began the case. He actually was taken down to the police office. He was put in a, uh, in a mug shot. And he was placed in a cell. He had to bail himself out. Fortunately, Ron DeSantis came to the help of this and other churches with this executive order. But because the church got such bad press that it was going to put people into jeopardy and they were being reckless, which was not true. And the media has been part of the problem in this whole COVID um, under you know misrepresentation. He had death threats, and so they didn't open the church for some time. They did online. All the other churches could open, but he was concerned that people would come there with a bomb. He got bomb scares. He eventually did open up the church uh, on Easter, uh, on, uh, on good, I should say, Palm Sunday in May, and he opened it with an outdoor service. He didn't want to do any of the other restrictive activities that the CDC was saying. People could do whatever they wanted to, but he didn't want to impose that. So he did it outdoors, and that outdoor service is called The Stand, and that outdoor service now has gone on for uh, a year, nearly a year, uh, and it goes on every single day, four hours a day, except for Friday nights. And in addition to that, he has the indoor service on Sunday, another four-hour service. So on Sunday, he has eight hours of service, four in the morning, four in the evening, and then four hours each night. It's an incredible revival that's taken place there in this ministry. But some of the other churches that we deal with, like, for example, Chinquitig, Virginia, Lighthouse Fellowship Church. Some people say, well, you know what? Um, it's good for me. I can just watch my sermon on my smartphone. But you know what? A lot of people don't have that, and they don't have the bandwidth. In Chinquitig, they don't have uh, internet service. And that particular church was a smaller church, and they ministered to people that have come out of prostitution, drug addiction, substance abuse, older people. They take them to doctor's appointments and so forth. They are their only family. And so on Palm Sunday, the governor of that state said you can only have 10 people, no more. They had 16 people in a 293-seat sanctuary, broadly spread out. The pastor got criminally charged. The rest of the 15 people that were there that day were threatened. If you come back on Easter, you will go to jail. You'll be charged. So they had no Easter service. We had a church in Kentucky. They had a parking lot service, parking lot service. They stayed in their cars. The service was broadcast into the parking lot. The sheriffs came at the direction of the governor, placed quarantine notices on their car. The quarantine notice said they'd need to go back and quarantine them and anybody in their car. They couldn't leave the county without permission of the government. They couldn't even take a, a taxi. They couldn't take public transportation. They couldn't even call 911 and be transported in an ambulance unless they first got permission. We filed suit. We won those cases in California, for example, for a year, almost a year. It was criminal. 
to have any in-person service, no matter if you had a five, 10,000 seat sanctuary, you couldn't have more than one person in the sanctuary praying or reading the Bible or having worship service. And you couldn't do that in someone's private home. So some people said, well, you know what? Maybe you can just worship in your own home. Well, you couldn't do that in California. It was criminal to go to your neighbor's house and pray with them, anoint them with oil, have a Bible study, have some praise and worship, bring a guitar and have some singing and have a scripture reading. It would be criminal and punishable by fines in California. That's the kind of nonsense that was going on around the country. We said from the beginning, it's unconstitutional. Caesar doesn't have authority over the church. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but to God what belongs to God. The church is not under Caesar's control. And so we litigated these. We won these at the U.S. Supreme Court and other places around the country. But what we also said uh, was this. At the very beginning, we said this in March. And all you have to have is a little common sense and deal with people. Look, when you lock down churches, when you put people in small, you know, apartments where they have no yard, they only have maybe a one-bedroom apartment, efficiency apartment, or small, you have the kids now at home. And now they have to do online. They don't have enough computers. The system is clunky because the public schools are not used to online. Now you threaten them with loss of jobs or they actually lose their job. What's going to happen? You're going to have domestic violence. You're going to have sexual child abuse increase. We also said pornography will increase. It exploded globally. You'll have anxiety, depression. You'll have abuse of legal and illegal drugs, all of that happened, and you had suicide as well. And we've had a number of suicides of young high school, particularly male sports athletes in their junior and senior year. And you can imagine, these people got locked out on a Friday some places. They left, they had their lockers. On Saturday, they got an email, you can't come back to school on Monday. They're in their last semester of their year. They didn't get a chance to say goodbye to their friends. And those kinds of individuals, or they're in their junior year and they're going back for their final year of sports, and it's a big deal for them. And I'm not just talking about sports, but we've seen this in the athletes, particularly where they just literally take their lives. And they, you know, I I'm the mom of four elite athletes, and I remember my youngest son as a joke to me on tryouts day for baseball, sending me a text, and I was in the gym saying I got cut from the team going to get emotional just even talking about this. And I ran out to the parking lot and I was hyperventilating because I knew that my child would be suicidal. And so I think about that a lot too, is these kids who got robbed of their junior and senior year of their sport. That's what you don't understand that life's going to be bigger than that. When you're 16 and you're 17, you don't understand that it's your whole life. Both of my sons would say things like baseball is my life. Yeah. You know, like they're like state championship winning MVP baseball players. Had had they been robbed of that? Their junior. All I'm saying is anybody listening to this, if your child went through that, God bless you. And I'm sorry. So, oh, and, you know, I think one of the that. things that it really, I think. Should make us all realize that we need to live outside of our box. For those people who say, well, I can just do this online. That's living inside a box. Uh, you know, God made us as interpersonal human beings. You can't touch somebody on their shoulder. We took a young man, this was before COVID, to Israel. We have a program to take young Christian leaders to Israel, part of our one of our ministries, Covenant Journey. And uh, that young man had a very depressive time in his life. He went on a spree to commit suicide. He had it planned on a specific time of the morning. On his way to do that, he decided to stop in this church. Sat in the church. A man came to him. Must be that God directed it to this young man. He didn't say a word. He just hugged this young man, just hugged him. To this day, this young man does not know the name of this person. That hug ultimately changed the course of his life, that I ultimately was able to meet him in Israel. Otherwise, he would have, a few hours later, taken his life. Amazing. You can't do that online. We need to understand people that are living around us and the community of hurt that's out there. And, yeah, and that all the these government are... has, through this pandemic, not only given false information about these COVID shots, but their result in restricting our freedom has had collateral damage that's very, very significant. Some of it you, you hope is reversible, but some of it I think is irreversible. 
Yeah. You know, everybody's so excited that they can now work from home. I know single moms who are like, well, I can take care of my kids and work from home. And I'm like, as a person who's been doing that for 16 years now, I just want to say it's not all it's cracked up to be for all the reasons you just said. Okay. So you did a ton for the churches and there were, I think, dozens of churches involved in your lawsuits in California. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was about 140, 50. Wow. So let's talk about the other, the other battles we have now in 2021 when the vaccine came online or I don't, I just, you guys, I know it's not a vaccine. I 100% get it, but we just say that word. Um, But like, let's talk about that. I want everybody to know that one of the reasons why I'm having Matt on the show is that what I've been doing the last few weeks before the Florida tour, where we're in six cities is I've been trying to figure out where can we fundraise for to fund the legal fights because the legal fights set precedent and other courts have to look at it. So that's the answer to the question I was going to ask you. Maybe your time is better spent talking about some of the 2021 and beyond, you know, legal battles that we have ahead of us and what you've filed and what you've won. Cause I think that might give people hope because when, when one of these, one of these cases is one, it's very, very hopeful for the rest of us because the executive branches are locked down. I don't know who's controlling these people. I have my theories. The legis- this legislatures just get gridlocked and deadlocked and can't get stuff through. And there's a few corrupt players that just stop legislation in its tracks, at least in Utah, where I know the most about it. But you guys, Matt Staver and Liberty Council are who I chose to raise funds for. So if you're coming to one of these six cities in in Florida, or if you care about Florida and you care about putting your dollars where it matters. I've seen a lot of money misspent in the freedom fight. Lots of people who have money are just throwing money at stuff like, you know, I've seen a bunch of lawsuits that cannot win or did not win or get quietly retracted before they hit the court because they know that they're going to get their butt handed to them in court because they didn't know what they were doing. I've seen so much of this. And so I have just been calling every single uh, attorney that people tell me has been involved in these legal battles like vaccine injuries um, and the, the especially the exemptions and the mandates and these military men dying. We'll go to that next. But I just want to tell you guys, I'm going to put a link down below to give to Liberty Council because this is the man who's leading it. And I have not seen this level of competence. I have been on the phone with a lot of attorneys and I know good attorneys from mediocre attorneys from bad attorneys. I'm related to a whole bunch of them. I have an unfortunate amount of experience with attorneys myself, 10 year divorce, 20, 28 year business owner, what like all the things, right? So he's a real deal. And he's out there affiliating other attorneys. They don't have to leave their practice, but they can take cases and he can direct and I'm just so impressed with Liberty Council. Like he and I have both been so crazy busy. Like we haven't met in person yet. It's been like this Zoom thing. But um, I'm really excited to raise funds for him because I feel like the fight, he's like he's already proven he can win these cases and he can pick pick the right attorneys, not the attorneys who don't know what they're doing, just got graduated the bar or whatever, you know, passed the bar last year or whatever. Um, talk to us about 2021 and beyond. Maybe start with the military because that one is heartbreaking. Yeah. You told me a statistic about that that exploded my brain about how many have died. Yeah, there's more men and women in the various branches of the military, six branches now with the Space Force, that have died from the COVID shots in one year, 2021, than have died from COVID in two years. So that's a startling fact, but it's true and it's indisputable. More people who have taken the shot in the military have died from the shot in one year than who have died in two years from COVID itself. That's an indisputable fact. Let me just give you an example of some of the situations. Uh, We just had a hearing uh, last month. We're going to a hearing in another couple of days on the military case. We have a class action representing all the branches of the military. We've had some preliminary injunctions that the court has granted to us. We're wanting to extend that to every single person uh, in the military who wants to make this choice. But let me just give you an example. One of the people that we brought to our hearing recently, a few weeks ago, is Lieutenant Colonel Peter Chambers. He is a flight surgeon. He is one of six Green Beret physicians in the entire world. He is now in his approaching 39th year of uh, U.S. Army. He is currently deployed on the southern border. Uh, But next month, he will go into medical retirement. He's not going to make his 40th year. And the reason is this, I mean, this is an individual who is a Purple Heart. He had a a AK-47 round go through his left arm and lodge in his chest. Fortunately, it didn't puncture because of the velocity uh, reduction. Um, it lodged in a rib. 
Uh, he's laying in a hospital the next day. All the people that were in his Humvee were killed by the explosion of this howitzer that uh, exploded uh, under the vehicle. And he's wondering, you know, should I go back? And, you know, he went back because he loves God, loves America. And he trusted, trusted the government. When they said it's safe and effective, he's a physician. He didn't do his own research, unfortunately. He said, well, okay, I'm going to take it. It's safe and effective. They say it's safe and effective, and if I don't get this COVID shot, I won't be able to deploy. He loves the military. And so he, he took it. Now he has demyelinization, which is a condition where the best way to describe it is it's like the plastic coating on an electrical cord gets melted off, and all you have is the cord. You have this protective covering over your nerves and over your brain, and when that myelin gets uh, eroded away, uh, you have nerve damage, and so that's what he has, and it's a progressive condition. And so he will take a medical leave, uh, discharge, and retirement. He'll not, he'll not make his 40th year. He's now done his own research. He's realized a couple of things. One, that it's, they're all made with aborted fetal cells. He's a Christian. He would have never taken it had he known that. Number two, it's not safe. He, has, uh, he gave testimony about what it's like on the border. He said on the border, uh, the, the soldiers under him, uh, about if you look at about 100%, about 15% of that 100% that are getting COVID are, quote, unvaccinated. The 80, 85% of those that are giving, getting COVID on the border, these are soldiers that are deployed to the border between Texas and Mexico. 80, 85% of those are not only vaxxed, but they're boosted. So what he's found is that they're more susceptible to getting COVID, those that are already double vaxxed and boosted. He also said that it's not normal what he's seen. Men and women are dying. We also had Lieutenant Colonel uh, Teresa Long. She's also a flight surgeon, uh, and uh, she is a whistleblower. She did a research on the DMED, which is the Defense Medical Epidemiology Database. It logs all of the medical treatment and codes of all the men and women in the military. She and other physicians like her, and she actually works with a number of pilots who are some of the most um, uh, physically fit, healthy people, have to go through multiple physicals and uh, checkouts. And uh, so she began seeing all these myocarditis, pericarditis, heart conditions, other kinds of neurological disorders. Uh, she is a specialist. She also has a master's in public health, and her specialty was researching the DMED database. She went in, she researched that, and she compared 2021 to the previous five years and found startling increases in neurological conditions, miscarriages, other kinds of heart conditions, uh, kidney, you name it. And so she presented that to Senator Ron Johnson, uh, and that has been part of her whistleblower protection. But she was one of our people to testify. Uh, the night before, the military commander called her. He's, a, he's one above her. She's an 05. The 06 called her. She's lieutenant colonel. Her commander called her and ordered her not to testify the next day. She said that's interfering with a witness and tampering with witness and protecting uh, and interfering with a whistleblower. And he said, it's coming from a command higher than me, which means it has to come from a general above an 06. Somebody high up in the military has commanded her not to speak about what she knows. On the stand the next day, I asked her a question. She then responded, I've been uh, ordered not to testify to that. The judge perked up and said, ordered by who? We went into what happened the day before, how she was intimidated, how she was now feeling threatened for her very life. And I asked her a question. I said, Dr. Long, the information that you want to testify to, of which you have personal knowledge, is it relevant? Do you think it'd be helpful to the court and to the public? She said, yes. I said, why? She paused, looked at the judge. She began to hold back tears. And she said, because so many people are dying and they're being injured and not a single person in my upper command chain is willing to take a look at this. They won't listen. I presented this information to them and they continued to simply ignore the startling statistics. A dramatic part going back to Dr. Chambers is uh, we had this hearing in March, um, on March the 2nd. The FDA had to uh, reveal 55,000 pages of information that Pfizer had submitted to it for its licensing application. 
The FDA, uh, when it got the FOIA request by physicians, including Dr. Peter McCullough, balked, said no way. It'll take us 75 plus years to produce it. The federal court said no. You produce it uh, at uh, high volumes and get it done within seven to eight months. The first uh, group of papers were delivered to the public on, in early March. One of those is a Pfizer document, 38 pages on the appendix. It's nine pages, single space. It's just a word. It's, the, it's not a description. It's just the title of a disease. Nine pages, single space. 1,291 adverse conditions that Pfizer knew about that occurred from their shot within about a period of a year. Now, and they and they didn't they didn't actually reveal that to the people with without the court injunction. Were you involved exactly. in that? That's right. Yeah, they didn't reveal that to anybody other than the FDA knew it because it was in the FDA's possession. The FDA was silent about it. Pfizer kept their uh, it's silent. And the FDA wanted to wait 75 years to release all of this information. Now we know why. Well, we asked uh, Dr. Chambers, is your condition listed as one of those 1,291? He said, yes, it is. He pointed it out, demyelinization. They knew about it. And they continued with the mantra that it's safe and effective. They also and, have been they also have been telling us since the vaccine release that we're conspiracy theorists if we think that it can change DNA. And some of those 1,291 diseases literally are like gene transcription dysfunction and disease. Going back to September 7, 2020, uh, we actually sent out a message about uh, whether we're we're actually raising the question, can, and this was in the clinical trial phase. This wasn't even, this was before the EUA authorization of the first COVID shot, Pfizer in mid-December 2020. So this was September 7, 2020, just by virtue of what we had done as research. We raised the question, can these mRNA shots uh, interfere with or affect your DNA? Of course, we got fact-checked and people said that's a conspiracy theory. It's not going to have any effect. CDC, FDA said there's no way that it would affect your DNA. Well, now we know. In fact, it does. It actually, the mRNA goes into the nucleus and it does affect your DNA. And so one of the things we're seeing is also how it interferes with the the um, the mRNA, then is coated with the lipid nanoparticles, kind of like a carrying case, like a suitcase, if you will, for papers inside. And inside is your mRNA. But to get it to its location, you got to protect it because mRNA doesn't last very long, and it would degrade pretty quickly. Uh, so you have to protect it. And so the lipid nano uh, particle is the protective carrying case, if you will, the covering. And so that allows it to go to all the different parts of your body. It bypasses your typical immune system. It concentrates in various places, including the ovaries, and it creates billion, trillions of spike protein, unlike what you would have with COVID itself. It's going to go everywhere. It's going to create trillions of spike protein, and it's going to bypass your normal immune system. So it breaks down your innate immune system. I was on a radio program the other day. I was explaining that. A caller called in and said, you know, I agree with what you just said because you talked about how people are developing cancers that were cancer-free before the shots. Then they're developing rapid onsets of cancer. She talked about two different medical professionals, a doctor and a nurse at two different locations, and she rattled off point after point after point where people, staff, and patients had developed these rapid onset of cancer after the shot, and they were cancer-free before the shots. And so that's another thing. It's destroying your innate immune system. In fact, the, the documents that were just released, 11,000-plus pages, uh, on April the 1st, Pfizer uh, acknowledged in that, that one, your natural immunity is highly protective of you, and, and that two, in the first, at least they acknowledged in the first week after the first injection, that indeed it does significantly reduce your white blood cells, which makes you more susceptible to other diseases and uh, viruses. So they've even, they knew that as well. They knew it wasn't safe or effective. Yeah, when you're, when you're at one of these cities on the tour, hopefully you'll be there, and I can introduce you to Ryan Cole if you don't know him. But to your point that, well, why do we have, he says he owns all these uh, clinics, these pathology clinics in Idaho, 
he's losing contracts because he's speaking up. Same thing mm-hmm. that Teresa Long is experiencing. But he was saying that they were seeing literally 20 times more soft tissue cancers. I texted him the other day and I said, what are you, what are you seeing now? Cause it's been months since I heard you say that. And he said, well, it's somewhat, it's come down quite a bit and it's normalized. Like norm, it's not normal, of course, but it's twice as much. So we're only seeing twice as much soft tissue cancer now from probably there's just a big onslaught from yeah. the hyper fueling of cancer. Everybody, we all have cancer. All of you are making 50,000 cancer cells a day. Your immune system stays on top of it until it doesn't. You've probably heard me talk about this before, but yeah, thank you for that. Can we do like a rapid fire of what have you been able to do for these military and other students, other populations on the mandates and the. Yeah, let me, let me begin. The mandates really began um, in July of 2021. And the first mandate was with the veterans administration. We pushed back right away and were able to get religious exemptions for people in all of the veterans administration started off with T38 employees, which are the medical and then a have expanded. Now all you have to do is do a, a checkbox and you get a, a religious exemption uh, from that. But that's not how it started. Then it went to the military. Then it, it went to schools. And so we worked with lots and lots of students all over the country that were told, you can't come back for your last semester or your last year. Uh, single moms, for example, that were doing second career, they, they literally were going to graduate in December 2021. They were told, get the shot or your career is over, completely done, and we will not give you credit for anything. Incredible pressure. We worked with them. Uh, we threatened multiple places uh, of lawsuit. Uh, they backed down. We got the first injunction against an osteopathic school in Louisiana on behalf of osteopathic um, Students who were osteopathic, um, uh, pursuing their osteopathic careers, got an injunction against that particular osteopathic uh, college. Then it started with uh, the employees with United and other kinds of airlines and then across the, the country. And then it hit the military. Those were the three phases, students, employees, and then, and then military. And we're still working in New York and, Cal- uh, New York and Maine and um, also in Illinois, representing thousands of healthcare workers there that were told that they needed to get the shot. And in Maine, for example, in New York, uh, the governors issued these executive orders telling healthcare workers they, meet, they must get a shot by a certain date. And also then threatening the employers, if you grant a religious exemption, you will lose your business license. In other words, you have to violate federal law Title VII. And if you don't violate federal law Title VII by denying all these religious exemption requests, then you'll lose your license to operate. Yeah, they're really serious about keeping us safe, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. And you know, the other thing is, uh, they, then they, what, the, what do they have to do? They, they didn't realize how many healthcare workers were opposed to the shots. And they're opposed for a number of reasons. One, they've worked through COVID. Many of them had their own natural immunity. And two, they saw what they were treating. And it wasn't just COVID, it was shot injuries. And so why would they inject the same thing into their body when they have the same thing that they're treating for these patients? So lots of them decided to walk away. And so both New York and Maine said, well, we're going to have to bring in the National Guard, which was just nonsense. There's not enough nurses and doctors in the National Guard to supplement 2,000 healthcare workers, for example, in Maine or several thousand in New York. Uh, and so they have this healthcare shortage. We had situations across the country where a woman, because of these mandates in Washington State, was turned away from the hospital when she had uh, contractions two to three minutes apart. They sent her home and said, we're only treating emergencies because we have lack of healthcare workers, because the healthcare workers walked off the job rather than get the shot. They said, go back home if your water breaks or you have severe bleeding, bleeding, then come back. And that's what she had to do. It's unbelievable. So then we worked with employees. We're working with employees all over the country. We filed suits in multiple states. We're still working with tens of thousands of individuals and getting them exemptions. Uh, we've been successful on a large majority of those individual um, exemptions. Now we're working, uh, in addition to the military, and I'll get to the military in a minute, with people who are on organ transplant list. In fact, just uh, this week, we were able to secure uh, this one individual who needs a life-saving organ transplant back on the list because these people were on the organ transplant list. They were approved, waiting for an organ. And in some cases, we had situations where you have on the one hand, the recipient, and on the other hand, the donor 
and their relatives, brother, sister, or friend, and they're matched. And they said, yeah, I want to give my kidney. I want to accept the kidney. They're a match. They're approved. And these places said, you both have to get the COVID shots. Otherwise, you'll be taken off the list. And so some of these people were taken off the transplant list. And it's life and death for these individuals. The longer you wait, the worse their condition gets. And so we're still uh, working on those and, and working that uh, process. We And big universities like University, you know, Vanderbilt was one of them. Uh, University of Colorado Healthcare um, Center out there, big universities. And we're still working with different entities and, and making sure that these people can get to their location where they can get a proper organ transplant. And literally it's life and death. We then uh, are working all over the United States and all over the world with men and women in the military. And just to get an idea of what the Biden administration is doing to these men and women, we already talked about the injuries. We know that it's not effective. We know, for example, one of the Navy ships, the Milwaukee, was, quote, 100% vaxxed, and yet one-third or more of the people came down with COVID. So the vax is not working. It's not effective. We know that. We knew that from global studies. We knew that from Israel. We know it's not safe. So why are they still doing it? I think why they're still pushing it is because Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin wants to purge the military. He said that in his confirmation hearings in March 2021. And this is a way to purge people of faith, people who love God and love the country. Because what we're seeing here is, let me just give you an example. We have a, we have a service member. He and his family and his children are in Hawaii. He was going to have a short trip to Alabama for some special training and then come to Florida for his next deployment. It was too short to bring his family and kids to Alabama. So he's going to go to Alabama, do the special training, come on to Florida, meet his family there. When he gets to Alabama, they said, well, you've got a religious exemption request. You can't go back to Hawaii. We're not going to train you here, which means you can't go to Florida. So you're stuck in Alabama. He's been away from his family for now about 180 days with no end in sight. We're working with people like that. We have people who, for example, have had their housing belongings and their cars shipped from the West Coast to the East Coast. And then after they do that, they say, whoops, you've got a religious exemption. You're in limbo. You can't do anything here. You can't go on to the East Coast. And you can't live any longer on housing, on the base housing. So you have to go out and pay for your own apartment. One in seven of men and women in the military are in a position where they need food supplements. One in seven. That's how bad it is. Some of these people, particularly the younger ones with lesser seniority, um, and, and, and it's have a, you have a hard time to get the SNAP food program. So you have to go to private charities to get food supplements. So we're talking about these people that are being told, you've got to go now pay for a hotel and your own food eating out when you don't even have the money to be able to and these do are, so. These are working people. These are the people who are working for our country. They're right. working full-time. They're productive members of society. One in seven can't pay their bills. And this is the thing that people don't understand, you know, that all these globalist overlords want us to be like, well, you know, we'll just have universal basic income. Just shh, be quiet. We'll, we'll bring you universal basic income and you'll have to sign away every right you ever had so that you can get a little bit of food. Here's the thing that people don't understand in America is that Americans don't know much about history is that in every single one of over 70 countries that have fallen into communism and they put everybody on state income is that it never meets the level of your basic needs. And right. so then there's know. this ugly black market and people out there selling everything from the clothes on their back to their bodies to feed their kids. And that's the thing, like, that's why, you know, I think they're conditioning us. Like everything you're saying, a lot of what you're saying, I don't even know. I don't know these cases, even though I know a lot about this whole thing and I've been fighting it with everything I've got for two years. I think they're trying to condition us to accept pure insanity. I yeah. think they're sending a shot across the bow that there is no more rule of law. They're telling us because like a father and a son, the father is the donor of the kidney for the son and he's going to die if he doesn't get it. And they say, well, you dad, you have to get these injections that might kill you in order to be eligible to give your son your kidney. Um, I think what they're doing, honestly, is sending a shot across the bow. Rule of law is not our core value. Yeah. So get over yeah. it. Get so inured to a insanity that every day 
there's an insanity everywhere that we all just get exhausted and lay down for it. And I am begging everybody listening to this, don't lose your sense of outrage. Yep, and we have exactly. to fight this. I'm sure you've had all these same thoughts and what are, but what's the alternative? So I, I would guess you're a man of faith. So you keep the ground under you because you know who, who made you, but also what's the alternative to us fighting this? Like we have to fight it. We have to fight it with everything we've got. And I think our biggest hope is with these courts because you're winning a lot of yeah. cases. Yeah, we are winning. You know, the alternative, let's, let's look at what's going on in Australia, for example. Um, in Australia, we, there's information that's come out there where if you are around someone who tested positive, I, there's a particular woman who actually created a video. Uh, she was um, approached. She was put in a, quote, COVID cab. She said that we said we, we have information that you were around someone who tested positive. She did not test positive. They put her in a, quote, COVID cab. They took her to one of the isolation camps. She's got video from that particular isolation camp. They were isolated individuals. She was there for um, a period of time. They said, if you don't obey everything, you're going to stay here longer. She never tested positive. Uh, right now, they also have COVID marshals that you have to have in any public place, including a church. So you've got to designate a COVID marshal. If you're going to church, someone has to be sort of the COVID czar, making sure that you're complying with all the COVID situations. In Israel, I'm really surprised with Israel because Israel should know better. Uh, they, they made this agreement with Pfizer. Uh, they were very secretive. In fact, Israel became a, a national uh, clinical site. They were giving all the data to Pfizer without the Israelis' knowledge. We have the document that they ended up agreeing with uh, Pfizer. They've redacted good portions of it. They gave immunity to Pfizer. Pfizer gave them all this opportunity, and Israel wanted to set an example to be the very first nation on the planet to get rid of COVID, and they become an example, all right, but an example of what not to do. People have died in Israel. They've been injured in Israel. It's not effective. They're on their fourth booster now. And then they created the Green Pass, and that Green Pass was a QR code, and you had to show that to go to different restaurants and different locations. Um, in fact, if you landed in Israel, if you even if you're an Israeli citizen and you came from the United States, we have friends went back to Israel to stay there. They were either escorted to a specific COVID hotel where they had to stay for a while, or they were sent directly to their home or apartment. They couldn't even go outside to take the trash out. They had to get neighbors to take the trash out. They had to get neighbors to bring food in because they couldn't go outside to get food. This is the kind of suppression that you see. I mean, what's the alternative? Is that the kind of life we want to live? No. So we got to push back. We have to push back, both raising our voices in every avenue. We can't be intimidated by the media. We know that the Biden administration has paid $1 billion, with a B, dollars to all of the networks, including some of what you might think as conservative outlets, such as Newsmax. Uh, they ended up paying them to give only positive stories on the COVID shots and suppress any negative stories on the COVID shots. No wonder why they were censoring everything. It includes Facebook, obviously. So you've got to be uh, aware. You've got to be bold. You've got to speak out. We have to go into the uh, public policy arena and enact laws. We've got to restrain the authorities of the governors to issue these emergency executive orders. We've got to protect against vaccine passports. There are 25 states, plus the District of Columbia, uh, and one of those would be Alaska that's considering. But 25 states are developing and or have deployed vaccine passports. That includes the District of Columbia. So they're already in place. Uh, and those are, those are things that would be, you know, on your, on your phone. And you, you submit it when you go, like, for example, to TSA and you board a plane, and you open up your electronic uh, boarding pass, and you get it scanned. Uh, we already saw, or, for Or example, you're not allowed to leave your house unless it shows green, which China exactly. already has. And it China shows already green. Has yeah. You, it, yeah. You don't have all the shots, and you didn't pass all their little government hoops you have to jump through. Yeah, so That's it starts with COVID, and then it adds other shots or vaccines or medical conditions. Then it's going to add your financial, your debt, other kinds of associations that you do. That's what China does. And, you know, we warned about this back in March, April of 2020. And the reason we warned about the vax and vaccine passports is because we started to do some research. To our surprise, I didn't know it at the time. Uh, we found that there had been a global effort to move forward with universal vaccination. This was long before COVID 
um, universal vaccination. And in order to have universal vaccination, you have to figure out who's vaccinated, who's not. So you got to have some kind of tracing and tracking system. Paper is not going to work. Uh, even uh, even this is not going to work in some underdeveloped countries or where you don't have cell service. So you got to have other systems. So they started developing that both for the electronic smartphone, but also implants, also other kinds of things such as dye that you put on uh, to show that you have a certain kind of vaccination that's readable by a spectrometer. But you wanted to vaccinate seven plus billion people on the planet. You have to figure out who's vaccinated, who's not. And then you've got to have force of those who are non-compliers. And that had been in the works for some years. Uh, MIT's technology review began in April of 2020, and they're very much uh, pushing this to have vax passports. They uh, associate this with like your TSA. We got used to some of these new rules after 9-11. We'll get used to this in order to get back to normal. And they're a big advocate. Uh, Massachusetts Institute of Technology's technology review. Johns Hopkins University, I mean, they had uh, information uh, before COVID about having vaxes that would be transmissible without actually getting the vax. And we already have that, for example, with animals, uh, where you want to vaccinate a herd. There's a mange or whatever it might be, some kind of disease or virus going on in the wild. But you can't inject every animal. So you inject some, you release them, and then there's a transmission of that vaccine to the other animals. Uh, Johns Hopkins University actually advocated that we ought to do that for humans, that we ought to have a vaccine that you could inject. And just by being around other people through air, body fluids, inhalation, other kinds of things, skin uh, touching, uh, you would be able to transmit that same vaccine without the person's knowledge. So there's all this that had been in the development. And then COVID hits. And uh, amazingly, it hits at the time of our election. And it also uh, is used by a lot of people to push this universal vaccination, this universal tracing and tracking, which ultimately is designed to control you and suppress your freedom, and also to push forward the climate change advocates that say you got to reduce carbon emissions down to zero, which would be Bill Gates, which would be Klaus Schwab and other people with the World Economic Forum. So there's a bigger agenda. And so we need to understand where this is going. So what's the alternative? Is that the kind of life? No. So we got to fight in the courts. We got to fight locally. You got to fight in your state legislature. And we also have to fight in the federal legislature. And you have to fight in the court of public opinion. And everybody who's been telling me that they're overwhelmed and exhausted, hey, guess what? We're just getting started here. You can't afford to be overwhelmed and exhausted. I get it. I'm sure Matt doesn't sleep six hours at night because he has to work so hard too. But here's the thing, everyone. Here's a theory. If you're losing hope, if you're like, what's the point? This is so overwhelming. Here's a theory. What if we fight these things? Because just like you said, laid out, you like gave us 10 reasons why it could be way worse. And what's happening in Australia is what we need to avoid becoming. What if us pushing back? Because, hey, we brought kids into this mess. We brought children into this mess. We don't get to give up. We don't get to be fatalistic. We don't get to lay down for this because we brought children into this. And some of you may be listening to this and maybe you didn't, but I am sorry. All those of you brought children into this have a freaking responsibility to do all in your power to prepare yourself and also stand up to it. And if we had all stood up to it when I was screaming about it two years ago, if we had a hundred times more Matt Stavers, we wouldn't be Mm. in this mess. Y'all have heard me say that about a bunch of people I've had on this show. I mean it. If we could just get 100 times more people to stand up to it, we could totally take this thing down. What if by slowing it down, it collapses of its own weight? Is that what you is that what you hope happens here? Well, I don't think it's going to collapse of its own weight, but I think because I don't think they're going to allow that. I think we have to make it collapse and keep it down because I I think in other words, we've got to stop it. We've got to address the We've got what we said and what you said back in 2020, 2021 is all coming out now that it was accurate. And and the more and more we get the information and the more and more research and data that comes out makes it even worse than what probably we even said was happening. But we have to get that out and we have to stop this. But one of the things I think that they've learned, and here's the thing that I want to caution people about. You may say, well, you, we're on the other side of COVID. Maybe, maybe not. We don't know that. 
Uh, every time we have the downside of the bell curve of a COVID variant, they always want to bring in another one. And why? Because they've tasted the power that they've had to, to scare you and then to dictate nonsense to you, like wear a mask, wear three masks, wear five masks, social distance, uh, quarantine for X amount of days, no quarantine for this amount of days. They, and, and we just do it. They understood that they have the power. Those people that have this global agenda are not going to give up. So we need to stop the train. And like I said, there's already half the states that have these vaccine passports in place. And we need to reverse it. And we need to make sure it never goes down this road again. Because there will be either another COVID variant or there'll be another virus. Look, we're old enough to know that COVID's not the first virus that's come around the block. We've had H1N1. We've had the anthrax scare. We've had all these other kinds of things that have come uh, to us in our lifetime. There's going to be another virus. Yeah. Now that they have the infrastructure and the template in place, all they need to do is wait for another virus or even worse, create another virus through this gain of function research that the Wuhan lab and Fauci was uh, behind. So yeah. I think we have to, it, it won't just go away. We've got to make it go away and we have to make sure that it's never coming back. Yeah, I like that. Well, to respect your time, let's get you back to practicing law. I just want to thank you for everything that you're doing. I'm going to put a link down below so that you can give money to Liberty Council. You guys, I'm going to match funds uh, of people donating on the tour. So make sure and let me know. If you made a substantial donation, I want to know about it because I want to match it. You know, like all this saving money I've been doing, I, I don't know a better use for it than putting some to this fight because there truly are not very many of your colleagues willing to even touch these cases. Yeah. And so, I mean, I never thought I'd say we need more lawyers, but we need more <laughs> lawyers. And you pro I'm probably not the first one who has said that to you, but God bless you. Thank you for everything you're doing. Link down below also to the tour that we are, you know, that Mass Savers Organization Liberty Council is entirely funded by donors. They need us. They're not... They aren't taking cases by the rich people, for the rich people, fighting the fights of the rich people. They're fighting the fights that matter to us and to our kids. So Matt Staver, thank you so much. Everyone, please go down below where you can give $20. If you can dig deep and give $2,000, I'm going to dig deep. I finally found a place to put my money where it's not going to be like flushing it down the toilet, like so many other things that I've been involved in the last two years. Thank you so much. And I'll see you at, uh, at the Orlando event. Sounds good. Good to be with you. And thank you for all that you're doing. My pleasure.